0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. We are continuing our preaching series uh, titled Keep Going, and I'll be preaching from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. I was actually given a little bit more But I'm pretty sure I'm just going to get to 13 and 14. So uh, I'm just reading it for your hearing. Uh, It says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. I'm going to kind of stop right there. Father, Master, help, uh, help me to preach your word this morning. And may you may go forth with your power, O God, awaken the attention of your people and may they be equipped and encouraged to live for your glory. Amen. Peter in this passage begins and ends talking about suffering. And I don't know about you, but I don't like talking about suffering and it's not easy to preach about suffering. But at the beginning and ending of this passage, he's talking about suffering and he speaks of suffering in the first part of this passage. He speaks about suffering for the sake of righteousness. And at the end of this passage, he speaks of suffering or speaks of suffering for uh, doing what is right. Uh, Now, no one, I don't know about you, but no one in their right mind desires or enjoys the pain of suffering. The most common response to suffering, at least from me, is to avoid it at all cost. However, while we don't go looking for suffering, Peter wants his readers to be prepared for when suffering comes looking for them. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He's writing before the time when Nero will begin torturing and executing innocent Christians in Rome for their faith. However, the handwriting was already on the wall because they were living in a time when their faith in Jesus as Lord was being taken by some as out-and-out rebellion against the king. And so some of Peter's readers had already been falsely accused of treason and disloyalty, and their environment was becoming increasingly more threatening and hostile. And so you can imagine that some of these new believers might be second-guessing whether being a Christian was a good idea. I don't know about you, but have you ever been there? Do I really want to risk my life, my possessions, my family for a Jewish man who was executed for being a criminal? This man who I've never personally met, but who reportedly rose from the dead, which is a preposterous. Can I say that right? Did I say that right? Preposterous claim that that is at best outrageously improbable. And in light of the suffering that is beginning to come upon me because of my faith in him, is putting my faith in him really worth it? Is it a good idea? And so Peter writes to say, yes, it is. What you've heard about the grace of God through the death of Jesus is true and it's good and it's right to put your faith in this grace. And so Making his final remarks at the end of the letter, Peter says this, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. This is a letter, church, of encouragement. Peter wants these believers to stand strong in their faith, so he's writing to prepare them for possible suffering. But not just any kind of suffering. Peter wants them to suffer in a good way. Now I don't know about you, but there's something about the word suffering and good that just doesn't seem to make sense when you put them together. He's not to me. But look, in every chapter of this letter, Peter seems to be describing what I would call good suffering. In chapter 1, verse 11, he describes how suffering precedes glory. And in chapter two, verses 19 19 through 20, he describes how suffering with patience and obedience finds favor with God. And in chapter three, verse 14, he describes how suffering brings about God's blessings. And in chapter 14 through 13, how suffering unites them with Jesus and is even a source of joy. And in chapter 5, verse 10, he describes how suffering is only for a little while and how God will use it to perfect, conform, strengthen and establish them. Are you ready to suffer? Still not ready, huh? But look at that. That's what I call good suffering. Peter has stolen a page from the Boy Scouts of America whose motto is, be prepared. Most of us, listen, really don't know what it means to suffer as a Christian. But listen, as we study Peter's letter and apply its timeless principles to our lives today, I think it's very important to remember that Peter is writing to a people who are being forced to choose between denying Christ and suffering for his namesake. Their very lives... We're on the line. Most of us have never experienced this kind of suffering. We're not in Iraq. We're not in Cambodia, where Christians suffer regularly for the sake of righteousness. We're privileged, though, to live in America, where for now we have the freedom to believe in Jesus as Christ, our Lord and Savior. Someone I know may be thinking right now, Pastor Kenny, you have no idea how I suffered this week. I left late for work last Monday. I already, I'm already on probation. It was raining and I got a flat tire and I realized that my spare was flat and I didn't pay my AAA bill. I hear you. But that's also why Peter said in the first chapter, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. We're distressed by various trials, many different kinds of trials. We suffer the distress of health, financial distress, relational trials. We suffer suffer the distress of mental and emotional and spiritual trials. So I don't mean to make light of anyone's specific brand of suffering. Because even in these kinds of trials, we have a mandate to suffer in a way that will glorify God, amen? Listen, throwing temper tantrums, yelling and screaming, kicking the tire, swearing and giving people a piece of your mind, grumbling and complaining, lying and cheating, none of these will bring glory to God. And so, I know we all face various trials, but I also believe that it's our calling as pastors to prepare the church today for the real possibility that one day we might have to suffer for our faith. We will give an account to God on how we prepare the church. I think the church in America treats preparing for Christian suffering like many Californians prepare for the big earthquake. I read this week that here in California, scientists are predicting that a 90 uh, predicting a 99.7% chance of a magnitude 6.7 earthquake or larger by the year 2037. I'm moving somewhere, y'all. <laughs> but then I read that more than 50% of Californians are not prepared with a disaster kit nor disaster plan. I'm embarrassed to say I'm among those who are not prepared. So I began to search the internet and look at some disaster kits, and I noticed that the items used to prepare the kit uh, for the future disaster uh, uh, were the very items we needed to live for today. Listen, I see a similar situation in our text this morning. Peter is preparing the church. For the possibility of suffering in the future by giving them what they needed today or in their day to live right then and now for the glory of God. So listen, to prepare to suffer for God's glory tomorrow, we must first be willing to live for God's glory today. In this text... I see four resolves that we must have as we strive to live today for God's glory. And I believe that by resolving to do these today, we'll be equipped and prepared for any suffering that may come. So first, we must have the resolve to have a good purpose. We must have a resolve to have a good purpose. Secondly, we must resolve to have a good fear. Third... We must resolve to have a good defense. And lastly, we must resolve to have a good conscience. Now, I had to confess already that I got stuck at the first resolve. And that's what I'm prepared to talk about today. We must have a resolve for a good purpose. Listen to this verse again. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, Peter begins our text with a rhetorical question Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous? For what is good? In other words, he's asking if you're passionately pursuing what's good, then who in their right mind is going to inflict evil upon you or do harm to you? The implied answer here is, of course, no one would. He's speaking in general, practical terms because it wasn't yet a crime, so to speak, to live a good Christian life. And so for the most part, if they lived by the golden rule, then they could expect to be treated by others in the same way. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? I think the obvious question right here should be then what is good? What does Peter mean by good? What good are they zealous for? What good are they enthusiastically following? And he defines good in the previous verses. Eric preached on it last week. He told the wives that good was submitting to their own husbands. He told the husbands that good was living with his wife with the knowledge uh, of God's purpose for marriage, with the knowledge of his wife's desires, with the knowledge of, uh, 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 of knowing what brings her joy, of what makes her sad, with the knowledge of her strengths and her weaknesses, and with, 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 with her, uh, uh, knowing her emotional and physical and mental and spiritual needs. The husband His good is an ever-growing, ever-developing, ever-deepening, ever-increasing understanding and knowledge of all that makes his wife who she is. Do this to your husband. (laughs) That's what my wife was doing to me the whole time Eric was preaching. (laughs) And then pulling... From Psalms 34, Peter says that the good for everyone is to be harmonious or unified in mind. Good is being sympathetic or compassionate with one another. Good is Philadelphia love or love among the brothers and sisters. Good is being kind hearted and humble. Good is not returning evil for evil, not returning insults for insults. Instead, good is praying God's blessing on those who do us dirty or those who curse us, cuss us out. I know we say that in my neighborhood. I don't know if you say that. You say that? So it's when they are being this good to others that Peter says they can expect that no one will do them harm. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness? Did you catch that? Even if you should suffer. Peter is actually saying that if they practice the good he spoke of, it's highly unlikely that anyone would suffer for it. But he also acknowledges that suffering for good can occur. And in fact, some of his readers were already suffering for being good. And so he must state the obvious possibility, but even if you should suffer, being zealous, zealous for what is good doesn't prevent us from ever having to suffer, but it can prevent a lot of of needless suffering. So doing good is more like defensive driving. It can't prevent you from ever getting into an accident, but it can prevent many accidents from ever happening. And you know this. There are those who, even though we do good to others, that we will still suffer for. Because there are always, there always seems to be that one person in your life who refuses to appreciate your zeal for good works. Sometimes that person lives in our home Hmm. or on our jobs or even in our church. Yet we must continue to do good and even be willing to suffer for it. Why? Here's the good part. Well, here's where Peter gives the resolve to have a good purpose. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, a good purpose for suffering is to do so for the sake of righteousness. Listen, your reason for being good to others is not because they deserve it, but precisely because they don't. Why is this? Because it's when they don't deserve it that our good deeds demonstrate the grace of God that's available for every undeserving sinner. Oh, that's a good purpose. But even if you should suffer for the sake of. Of righteousness when we suffer for the sake of righteousness we present to others a tangible example if you will of the grace of God in Christ Jesus for you have been called for this purpose Peter said in, in, in the second chapter since Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps it's the life purpose of every believer to suffer for the sake of righteousness, in order to give others a picture of the goodness and the grace and the glory of God. I'm going to take some time right here because I believe that understanding our life's purpose is crucial. Listen, we were created for the glory of God. Everyone, Isaiah says 43, Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Every man and woman, boy and girl is created for the glory of God. We're created to display God's glory on earth. We're created to reflect back to God, his own absolute majesty, his supreme greatness, his endless goodness through the way we live here on earth. God's glory is the public display of his infinite holiness, the demonstration of his uh, immeasurable worth, and the exhibition of his limitless power. We were created for this glory. And so even uh, every fallen human, there still exists the need for glory because we were created for it and we're drawn to glory. That's why we love the glory of creation, the glory of a beautiful sunset, the glory of a full moon, the glory of a million stars in the sky. The scripture says the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the works of his hands. We love glory. We love the glory of snow on the cover, covering the mountains. I don't know if you saw it this week, but it was the most beautiful thing. Driving, to, driving home from work and seeing the snow and trying to keep my eyes on the road, but trying to, you know, pull out my phone so I can and take a picture. You, uh, no, don't, don't tell anyone. <laughs> but we love, we love the snow-covered mountains, the glory of the hills blanketed with flowers. We love, we're, we're lovers of glory because God created us for his glory, and we're drawn to glory. All glory points to God man's desire for glory is only satisfied when it is met by the glory of God all other glories are temporary substitute meant to lead us to God but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness so our good the righteousness that we show to others is a display of God's glory through us intended to draw people To him. I like that. See, the problem is sin destroyed our ability to reflect his glory. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and so there was a need to redeem a lost man to pay his debt of sin to settle the God's wrath on him and restore his relationship with glory so God sent this son and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his what glory we saw his glory glory as the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth Jesus, through his death and resurrection, restored our ability to once again glorify God. And so his prayer in John, he says this, the glory which you gave me, I have given to them that they may be one, just as we are one. I told my wife, I said, I think this message is for me (laughs) because I eat this stuff up, y'all. I love this. He says, just as we are One, I'm giving them the very glory that you gave me. Listen, we were created for God's glory, but sin separated us from him. Yet there still remains a hunger for glory in every man. So man, in his fallen condition, seeks to fulfill his created purpose and satisfy his need for glory in every conceivable sinful way. But it's only through his sacrificial death and our faith in him that Jesus restores our ability and he satisfies our need to reflect the glory of God. And so now, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all why for the glory of God. The ultimate purpose for every Christian life is to do good. For the sake of righteousness, because in so doing, in being righteous, we we reflect the glory of God, which causes sinners to then in turn glorify the living God. Let your lights shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your father who is in heaven. Oh, see, I love this stuff. This is mind blowing to me. We're able to glorify God. That is an amazing thing. (laughs) Don't miss this. Don't take this lightly. I I may not have the words to articulate the immense privilege of sharing God's glory. In Isaiah 42, he did say, God said, uh, uh, he will not share his glory with anyone nor any idol. But here he's specifically talking about not giving away, uh, not giving any man or idol the credit for who he is and what he had done to call his people into a covenant relationship. Oh, but for us. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, Paul says this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. I love that. When we suffer with Christ, when we, share, we, when we share in his suffering for the sake of righteousness, we are also given the honor, the privilege, the benefit of sharing or joining in in the glory of God. <laughs> the gospel is the source it's the mechanism it's the very power the, the means by which we are reunited with god's glory so again paul says he called you to this through our gospel oh that's good second thessalonians two fourteen. he says he called you to this through our gospel why that you might share in the glory of our lord jesus christ that's amazing you want to know why you exist? You don't have to go to Mars or the moon. You want to know your purpose in life? You want to, you want to have a life of meaning and value? Are you really interested in a purpose-driven driven life? Let me tell you. This is our God's good purpose to make much of God and His glory so that men will fall on their faces and worship Him. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, it's inherent in the triune nature. Of God to display his own glory. His glory cannot increase. His glory cannot be enlarged or added to, but the beauty of his glory, the goodness of his glory, the essence of all that makes God, God is to be made much of. That's why we worship that's why I act crazy when I'm up here. Now I'm about to get away. That's why I want to see, that's why I'm, I'm loud, and, and I can be boisterous sometimes when I'm up here. That's why I get so excited. This is what excites me. I am an introvert. <laughs> that's my wife. I don't talk very much. I don't like crowds. But there's something about coming into the house of God. It's something about pressing in to the presence of God that makes me loud and crazy and want to lift my hands and give him all praise and all glory. I feel like I have found my purpose. And I want you to experience that, too. Let me tell you, this is our good purpose, though, to make much of God. It's inherent in the Trinity. Listen to this. This is something that God does and has always done within his own nature. And we get to join in with him in making much of his glory. I, I mean, that is, that is awesome. We get to join in with the triune God and and participate in something that God has been doing from eternity past, will do for all eternity, we get an opportunity to join in with God to display his glory. Father, Jesus says, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. Can I be God? (laughs) I have both glorified it and will glorify it. The Father glorifies himself. And then Jesus answered in John 5:54, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. The Father glorifies the Son. Jesus spoke again in John 17:1, Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Jesus glorifies the father. Jesus said again, the, the spirit uh, 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 in John sixteen fourteen, he will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. The spirit glorifies Jesus. I I'm, in, I'm excited. Yes. Listen, church. It is God's nature to display his own glory. And we see the displaying of God's glory amongst the Trinity. We were created to do what God has already been doing within his own nature for all eternity. God has been, been, has been making much of his glory see I I know this is not one of those sermons that that is seven ways to fix your marriage or you know five ways out of sin or you know 13 million ways to do a backflip I know that this is what we were created to do to worship and glorify God and we must get this I think We were created to do what God has already been doing. The angelic hosts are in heaven making much of the glory of God. They're yelling at each other across the throne room. They're yelling, holy, holy, holy. (laughs) (laughs) As the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Did you hear that? The reason for their praise and worship is not because of the the holiness of God fills the earth, it's because the whole earth is full of his Glory. glory. Listen, this is what we on earth are created to do. Salvation reunites us with our created purpose. We get to share God's glory. We get to fill the earth with his glory. We get to join the Trinity and the angels in making much of God's glory because it is the pleasure of his glory that draws men to himself. There's nothing greater, nothing greater than the glory of God. There's no sweeter joy. Than the glory of God. There's no greater reward than the glory of God. There's no more a uh, 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 purpose in life than to share the glory of God. That is the answer to the most famous question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end His number one priority, his ultimate purpose in his life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so when man is exposed to the glory of God, when when God himself gives man the grace to see his own glory, that man, that woman, that young boy or girl will surrender in repentance and worship before the glory of God. But even if you should suffer, or even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, isn't that a wonderful, joyous reason for, suffering? wouldn't you classify that as good suffering? But even if you should suffer for doing all the good that's listed in verses 1 through 12. Listen, I told you I... I I was trying to keep this thing going, but I got stuck here. I I couldn't even move past this list of all of these good deeds that we're supposed to show to one another. I mean, do you see that list? It's an impossible list. I I don't know anyone past or present who can consistently be that good. Are you saying I am? Okay, okay. No one can be that good, and yet that's what we're called to be to do. That's our life's purpose. But even though we've been redeemed, we must still contend with this flesh. Our inclination to glorify ourselves, listen, it always uh, uh, competes with our, with, with our mandate to glorify God. So we often lack the power within ourselves to suffer for the sake of righteousness. But listen to what Paul told Timothy. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Oh, there's a promise right there. Our ability to suffer for the sake of righteousness is only made possible through the power of God. It's made possible Through Jesus Christ, having been filled, uh, Philippians 1.11 says this, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. He's talking about suffering for the sake of righteousness, doing good deeds for the sake of righteousness, this fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. I don't know if I made myself look silly up here, but I love glory. I love God so much that I, I get excited when it comes to giving him glory. Jesus gives us the power to produce the fruit of righteousness. And as we yield ourselves to him more and more as we yield more and more control of ourselves to his Holy Spirit living in us, the more we're able to consistently perform the good works in verses one through 12. So our purpose is to display the glory of God through our good works, so that through the gospel, others may come to share his glory. That's your purpose. But even if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, then he says, you are blessed. So even if we should suffer for the sake of righteousness and for the glory of God. Taking a note from Jesus' sermon on the Mount, Peter says we are all ready blessed. <laughs> in what way are we currently blessed? Peter, again, already gave us the answer in verses 12, 10 through 12. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Specifically, that God's eyes are on the righteous. That's the real blessing we have right now. Today, we already have it as we choose to do good and suffer for the sake of righteousness. God has his eyes on us. This is bothering me. He's watching over us to protect and provide what we need in our time of suffering and so if God is watching over us then who can ever do us harm (laughs) if he hears our prayers since since he positions himself to respond to our need what additional protection do you require We currently have the favor of God, the pleasure of God, the presence of God, the strength of God, and the grace of God. We have all of that being communicated by God's watchful eyes over us. And that's amazing. We are blessed. And as Romans 8 says, as I bring this to a close, Romans 8, 31, you know it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who will harm us? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes. Rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered but in all things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. What a promise. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen, Company Grace, we cannot be any more blessed than that. Again, ending with a quote from Peter chapter 2, 22 again. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Jesus is our example of good suffering. And Peter said that through his life, he has provided us an example for us to follow. So who is there to harm you? If you prove zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. So our good purpose is to suffer for the sake of righteousness, to follow the example of Christ, who obeyed and suffered all for the glory of God. So we too must be willing to obey and suffer because he first did it for us. Amen? We too, we must be willing to do it because when we do it, others will see his glory through us. We must be willing to do it for his pleasure and his glory. We must be willing to do it because that's why we were created. It fulfills our real life purpose and gives a divine an eternal meaning to our lives as Christians. Father, you know how I labor with these words. Master, I pray that something that I said today would resonate in the hearts, minds, and spirits of your people. That God today, on some small level, we might have got a glimpse of your glory. And that, God, would bring about a greater transformation of our lives into the very image of your Son. So Father, go with your word. Let it not return void, but let it accomplish your plan and your purpose in our lives. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.